Welcome back to the podcast of the River Anglican Church in Blacksburg, Virginia. Today, Jonathan starts a new series called Encounters with Jesus, and certainly anyone who ever encountered Jesus couldn't leave unchanged. So here's Jonathan. So good morning. My name is Jonathan Tagg, and um, if you're wondering why I'm speaking in an English accent, it's because I've been watching BritBox as of late. Anybody discovered BritBox? No. Okay. (laughs) That's tragic because it's an absolutely brilliant series and I commend it to you. Sometimes the language can be spicy, so I'll make that disclaimer, but I find myself thinking and speaking in an English accent these days. But um, I am from Pittsburgh, so unfortunately it's not that nice. Um, Yeah. So this week we're beginning a series entitled Encountered with Jesus, and I wanted to do this because I'm so excited for us to just focus on Jesus and people's encounters with him, and we find ourselves as characters in these stories, and we compare and contrast and find that Jesus ministers to us the same way he did back then. And so if you would turn to Luke chapter 8, if you have a a Bible uh, or if you have a phone, um, or if you just want to sit and listen, that's fine too. And many of the questions that we find ourselves asking, is Jesus still doing the things today that he was doing then? And and is there hope for me uh, for the different challenges and struggles that I have? Uh, I believe we'll find those answers today. And so the way that we're going to structure this message is just very simple uh, observations, you know, what happened, uh, interpretation, what it means, and, and applications, how it applies. And so first, I'm going to walk through the passage with you, and I'm just going to read a few verses and stop and make some comments uh, uh, during the observations. So look with me at uh, Luke chapter 8. We're going to start at 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was, uh, was, I'm sorry, was dying. And so, you know, the first character that's introduced is Jairus, and Jairus is a synagogue ruler. Uh, That's probably not a term that we're... uh, familiar with, but he was a a man who was typically very uh, popular and very wealthy because he was in charge of the synagogue, which was the center of the religious life of the Jewish community. And so he would be doing, you know, assigning the hymns and assigning the readings and and, uh, running any staff and the facilities of the synagogue. The synagogue was also the place of education for young people just then as it is today. And uh, as they went through their their, their training, and for any people in the rabbinut, any rabbis who were studying as well. So the synagogue was an absolutely important place, and this is a really important figure. But what does Jairus do? The first thing he does is he falls at the feet of Jesus' feet, a, a place of incredible desperation, and he pleads with him, come to my house, my daughter is dying. And so it says, as Jesus is on his way, so he's on the way to Jairus' house, the crowds are crushing him, verse 43, and there's a woman who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. No one, it says, could heal her. She came up behind him. She touched the edge of his cloak, 
And immediately it says her bleeding stopped. Why did she touch the edge of his cloak? Why wasn't she more bold? Well, this woman had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And according to Jewish law, when a woman is on her menstrual cycle, she cannot be in physical contact with people. It was part of the, the Hebrew law. And so she was ashamed. And, and just if I can just kind of, without anybody noticing, just touch the hedge, or the edge or the hem of his garment, rather, then I will be healed. And sure enough, it says she was. Verse 43, who touched me? And people deny that. I didn't touch you. Jesus says, someone touched me. Power went out of me. I could tell that something happened. And the woman seeing it says in verse 47, she could go unnoticed. She came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Why did she do that? Because she was afraid of the consternation of the Jewish community. I mean, she could get in a lot of trouble for touching anybody, especially a rabbi. And she thought she would, uh, you know, get the indignation of the rabbi himself and the embarrassment. How dare you touch me? And his disciples and the onlookers, how dare you? Get out of here. I mean, she'd been a social outcast for 12 years. She was expecting the worst. But verse 48, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, go in peace. And when Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and he said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Now, if I was Jairus, I mean, can you imagine how he felt? I mean, he had said, like, my daughter is dying. Let's go to the house. And so Jesus is on his way, but he stops for this woman, this nobody. A woman who'd been an outcast, a woman who, you know, had seen doctor after doctor and was not able to get healed and helped, a woman who wasn't even bold enough to really come but just touched the hem of his garment. Jesus stopped, and now Jairus' daughter is dead. And they say, you know, don't even bother. But hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, comforting him, don't be afraid, Jairus. Just believe and you and she will be healed. So they go on their way, and when they arrive at the house of Jairus, he did, says that he, meaning Jesus, did not let anyone go in with him into that house except Peter, John, and James, and the mother and father, Jairus and his wife. The other people, and we'll understand in a minute why, were not allowed to experience this miracle. While the people were wailing and mourning for her, stop wailing, he said, she's not dead, just sleeping. And so how did they respond? Did they trust the words of Jesus? Did they say, okay, we believe you? No, it says they laughed. They mocked, they scoffed. Because they knew that she was indeed dead. <laughs> what, a, you know, what kind of rabbi is this? But he took her by the hand and he said, Talitha komi in Aramaic, my child, get up. Her spirit returned. At once she stood up, and Jesus told them, get her something, eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So that's just a kind of a retelling of the story, and so let's look at what it means, interpretation. And I have five points here, I believe it is. This is not going to be like the 16-point sermon I had a few months ago. So many of you commented so beautifully upon that got so many wonderful emails that week. But 
Firstly, these two individuals needed something that could not be solved another way. It says very specifically, verse 42, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Indeed, she was dying. They were right. She did die. There was, there was nothing else that could save this girl. And as far as uh, the woman is concerned, verse 43, a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one, it said, could heal her. She tried everything. So Jairus's daughter was dying, and she died, and this woman had tried everything she could. In fact, Mark, the God, this story of the woman and the healing of Jairus is in all four Gospels, and Mark's Gospel includes she'd spent money on doctor after doctor after doctor, so she was worse off now than she was before. Because before she was just sick and an outcast, and now she was broke and still sick. The world had no answer for what ailed Jairus' daughter and this woman. So out of desperation and despondency, they came to Jesus. And the question is in the text, as the reader, how's a man, a rabbi like Jesus, a popular figure, you know, constantly on the move, constantly healing and teaching, how's he going to respond to these people? And that's my second point. Would he turn Jairus away? Remember who Jairus was. He's part of this social elite, religious leadership group. Remember, they're the ones who would constantly test him, constantly contest him, constantly mock and ridicule him and try to expose him as a fraud and slander him, and eventually they would have him uh, betrayed and beaten and executed. Would Jesus turn Jairus away because he was part of this elite caste? And how about the woman, of course, this woman who was not only financially ruined, she was socially and physically ruined, spiritually an outcast of the synagogue. I mean, she was so much of a nobody that they didn't even include her name in the text. She's just a woman. You know, it's a rhetorical way, not that she didn't matter to the author of the text, but it's a rhetorical way of saying that's like how much of a nobody she was and she felt like because Jairus got a name in the text and she did not. But the answer is, of course, that Jesus did not reject Jairus because of the group he was a part of, nor did he reject the woman. He stopped, and he paused, and he listened, and he empathized, and he cared for them, and he even walked with them and worked with them. It didn't matter to Jesus whether you were rich or poor, part of a snobby, aristocratic elite group, or whether you were a nobody, you didn't even get your name in a book. It didn't matter. Because Jesus was just an equal opportunity lover. You know, you could be a sexual deviant like the Samaritan woman who'd had five husbands, and you could be a swindler or a fraud like Zacchaeus and Matthias, the tax collector. You could be a military zealot who just wanted Rome to pick a fight, and we're just going to take you down like Judas, one of his own disciples. I mean, it didn't matter who you were. Jesus loved and accepted everyone and anyone. But there was one condition, third point, for Jesus to heal. Faith and belief in Jesus was absolutely necessary for Jesus to do the miraculous. That's my third point. One condition. To the woman, Jesus said this in verse 48, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. 
And verse 50, he says to Jairus, don't be afraid. What does he say? Don't be afraid. Somebody read it. There we go. Thank you. You get a gold star after. Right on your forehead, like my piano teacher used to do. He would lick it and just stick it. It was just so beautiful. You know, smelled like your thumb. It's great. Let's just move on from that. Very, very picturesque yeah, story. Faith in Jesus means belief in who he said he was. Belief in what he said he would do. That's what belief and faith and trust, all the same word, pastuo, means. And it was to Jesus a catalyst. If you're a scientist, you understand catalyst. You have something in a cause and effect, and you have a, you know, something and it creates a reaction, and it doesn't catalyze until that happens. And Jesus, your faith and their faith was the catalyst for belief. It was imperative for making things right. Well, we can say that because he said it, but we can also say that because what about the people that didn't have faith? My fourth point is those without faith were excluded, you'll notice, from witnessing the miraculous. Verse 51, he arrived at the house of Jairus. He did not let anyone go in with him. He's like, no, you don't believe in me. You know, the daughter's dead. Don't bother the master, right? Didn't he say that? And when he said she's only sleeping, did they believe him? No, they scoffed and they laughed at him. You don't deserve to experience this. Because disbelievers don't believe in Jesus. They're excluded from witnessing this amazing miracle. The only ones who were allowed were Peter, James, and John. And the ones who did believe as well, his father, her father, and her mother. Friends, take note of this important point, how crucial our faith is, but also the, the cost and the consequences of this belief. And fifth and finally, notice it's Jesus who has the final word, no matter what anybody says. Verse 44, the woman came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately it says her bleeding stopped. This woman who wouldn't approach the rabbi out of shame and out of guilt, and not wanting to defile her, but defile him as well. She just had enough faith to just touch the hem of his garment, and guess what? It worked. You know, even a somewhat superstitious faith, as some scholars might say, that she would, you know, if I could just, I don't have to interact with Jesus, I don't have to have a relationship with him, I'll just, you know, take this and rub these stones against this holy place, right? That's the kind of thinking. And guess what? It worked. And even though Jairus' family or friends came and declared the daughter dead and said, don't bother the master, Jairus was the one who had the faith, and Jesus had the last word. Look at verse 54. But he took her by the hand, and he said, my child, get up, as if she had not even been dead. And it says, her spirit returned. What does that mean? Her spirit had left. It had departed her. She was physically and spiritually dead. D-E-D. And it won't thank you for some kind of acknowledgement. But that's it. Yeah. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Friends, it is Jesus who had the final word then. And I, we go to application. It's Jesus who has the final word today. Amen. That's really important for you and me to hear this today. And why is it important? Well, it's important because there's no one in this room that does not come today with some areas of doubt and disbelief. 
and distrust. It is absolutely impossible or you would be perfect and I would be perfect. We have areas we run into and we say, God, do you even hear what I'm praying or saying? And for some people, that belief and that prayer and that hope gave way 5, 10, 15, 20, even 30 or more years ago. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're single or married or younger or older. You might have been a Christian a long time or a a short amount of time, or you might come and say, you know, I'm not even really a Christian at all. It really doesn't matter. But all of us come with areas where we struggle to believe God. Will he stop? Will he care? Will he empathize? Will he take action? And this passage is meant to encourage us that indeed Jesus does still do today what he did then. Amen. Hallelujah. He pauses, he listens, he cares, he empathizes. It doesn't mean, of course, that we get what we want when we want it, but he does stop. What's important, friend, is that you and I have faith. And faith isn't just binary, like I had it and then I lost it. We talked about this several weeks ago. Faith is active application. In fact, I like the term exercising your faith. Because faith is like the muscle that atrophies without exercising, and faith is like the muscle that grows strong and powerful when we use it, when we apply it. And faith is believing in the character and work of Jesus Christ despite. It's believing in the character, who Jesus is, and what he does despite. Despite what science says, because the girl was dead, okay? The woman had a hemorrhage, and really, except for Jesus, there was no way, evidently, for science, for the doctors, to make it work. Faith is is believing, despite even what others say. Don't bother the master. Don't bother the master. Faith is believing, despite what the world says about yourself, or your situation, or someone you love, or something that you feel is hopeless. Even despite maybe what you believed in the past and God said it's time to change the way you were believing or disbelieving. Faith is when we're desperate to have something change that there's no other way that it could be fixed. And so here's a question for you to think about. Now as we ask the Holy Spirit, when we preach the word of God, we ask the Holy Spirit, convict us, God. Now, like this is the time. Your word is being preached. Convict us that this message is not just for them, but it's for me this morning. The question is this, where has God left a gap that only your faith can heal? That only your faith can fill that gap that God's created? Where has he created a space in your life that you would reach out to him in a new way Pray in a new way, persevere in a new way, and thus experience him in a new way because God is new each and every day. Each and every day. And maybe you come this morning and you're ashamed, maybe of what you've been or done or not done or not been. You're ashamed of the spot that you find yourselves in. I can't believe this is where I am. I thought I'd be in such a different place or such a different person. I thought my marriage would be in a different place or my family would be in a different place or blah, blah, blah. And so we come and we're like the woman. We just don't even really want to be noticed. We just want to touch the hem of his garment and be healed, but without the cost of being exposed. 
But this message is for you, that he loves you, and that he stops and he cares for you, just like he did for the woman. But perhaps you're like Jairus, and you come not for yourself, but you come for someone else. And again, I would doubt that there's a person in this room who doesn't have someone else that they're deeply concerned about, whether it's a friend or a family member, or even just what's happening in this crazy world, amen, that you're just deeply concerned about, about Ukraine, about gun violence, about things that are happening either in our community or in our nation. Friends, as a pastor, every day there's someone that I care about because it's my job, someone that I pray for that's sick, or some person or marriage that's in difficulty or crisis, whether it's emotional or spiritual or physical. And faith means that we go to Jesus with these intercessions and with these needs and cares and hurts and fears And we believe in him despite what is being said. But secondly, it it, it needs to be talked about. What do we do when Jesus does not answer the way we want or in the timing that we want? And this story, I love the fact that in this story that we experience with Jairus, what happens? I mean, his daughter died. He experienced the loss of his daughter. Can you imagine Jairus' face when he's standing there and he, you know, Jesus has paused to talk and to work with this woman and they said, your daughter is dead. And Jairus is like, thanks so much, Jesus, for stopping and talking with this man because you could have saved my daughter. I think that's important for us to hear this morning. And Robin and I can speak from deep, deep experience how painful it is when someone we love, a child, family member, a parent, all the stuff that we have gone through that many of you know about the last years when they're in trouble. And we pray and pray and we try and do things again and again and we spend money and we feel like we're going broke as we spend money. And we take action, but it feels like, Jesus, why are you waiting? What are you doing? And we struggle to believe in God. We are tempted to raise our fist at God and say, God, you clearly don't care or you're not powerful enough. But I mentioned to Robin, we've obviously been through this now for many years, and I've, so we've had a lot of time to pray and to process and to struggle together and with many of you, with our church family. And I mentioned this passage to Robin and what I'm preaching on today And I mentioned about Jairus and about, you know, that his daughter had died and, you know, and she wisely said this. She said that faith is when we keep on believing in God, especially when he does not answer the way that we want him to answer or in the timing that we want him to answer. That's faith. Friends, that's really, really important, really powerful. You know, it's a little bit easier when you pray and God gives the answer right away, isn't it? Like, bam, I knew it. You know, it's really hard when you pray and pray and work and try and the answer does not come. Now that's where faith really becomes exposed for what it is, or disbelief. And that's the third and final application in this passage. You know, one of the great sub-themes of this passage is not just about faith and belief, it's about disbelief. And the question is, Am I like Jairus? Am I like the woman? Or am I like the crowd? 
That is a lingering question in this passage for you and for me. Because as you know, Jairus continued to believe even when everybody said, your daughter is dead. Even when the mourners and everybody had showed up at the house. You know, the professional mourners and wailers. You know, they're doing their thing. That's what they're paid to do. And still Jairus and his wife believe. Are you like Jairus when there is an area that does not get answered in the way or the time that you want? When friends or family tell you that you're being unintellectual, that your you know, faith is unwarranted or it's unacademic or it's unenlightened? Are you like Jairus who believes even when Jesus isn't who you expect him to be? Or sadly, are we like the scoffers who just laugh and ridicule and don't believe Jesus for who he is and his words, you know? And the sad part about this is that the onlookers, the scoffers, were not invited to see and to experience the miraculous work of God. And that is the really sad part about scoffing and about being skeptical is that we, if faith is a catalyst for the work of God, we don't get to see the work of God in our lives or in the lives of others. Jesus went to his hometown, you might remember the story, and he went to those people that he grew up with in Nazareth, you know, they knew him as a as a baby and as a boy and as a child, and then eventually as a man, you know, because he continued to be there until he was 30 and he started his public ministry. And he, it says, you know, when, they, when Jesus came, they said, you know, isn't this Joseph's son, you know, the carpenter? Like, we know him. And they didn't believe him because he was ordinary. And that's what happens with our faith. Jesus becomes just regular guy. He becomes ordinary. He stops being who he said he is, miraculous, powerful, loving. And we stop believing in him. And it said in that passage in, in Matthew 13, Jesus did only a few miracles in Nazareth. Why? Because they stopped believing. They didn't have faith. And friend, I'm incredibly empathetic, having gone through our journey over the next several years about the different struggles that we have at times when we go through really hard times. The skepticism that can emerge in the soul when we go through difficult times. And maybe that difficult time happened when you were eight or when you were 10 or when you were 12 or when your parents let you down or when you were abused or I don't know when it was, but at some point in all of our lives, there is a crisis of faith where we are tempted to become the skeptic. And God will even accept you there because he has accepted me there, and I know his love has no bounds. God has created this holy place for you and for me. It's this gap where he says, this is a crisis of faith, and I'm going to meet you here. In fact, I created it because it's the only way you would come to me. And he has created these crises of faith for you and me as a gift of love, not as an act of hatred or ignorance. So in closing, I want to read James 5.14 again because it's such an important passage. James, remember, the brother of Jesus, says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. 
and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. If you've, if they've sinned, they, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What a perfect image of the church, that you would confess your sins to one another. This is who I am. I'm just laying it out. I'm being honest. And then you'd say, brother, I'll pray for you. Sister, I'll pray for you. I'm no better than you, so that you would be healed. And friends, as we, God willing, emerge from COVID, eventually we'll set up our prayer reels again, which we do during communion, and that's a symbol and a sign that we believe in the power of healing prayer. Amen. And that it's absolutely essential that here and now, as well as during the week, we pray for one another to believe that God is a God of healing. Jesus, who created you, can breathe goodness into evil. He can bring He can breathe hope into despair, and he can bring life into death, no matter if it's your own sense of spiritual apathy and death. He can breathe life into it. And faith is the belief that he will do amazing things that are impossible we can ever ask or imagine, but faith is also when we persevere, he does not work the way we want. A 20th century German nun says it this way in closing. Her name is Basilea Schlink. She said, when human reason has exhausted every possibility, the children can go to their father and receive all they need. For only when you've become utterly dependent upon prayer and faith, only when all human possibilities have been exhausted, can you begin to reckon that God will intervene. Let's take a moment to pray. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from the River Anglican Church. You can find us on the web at therivernrv.org, also on Facebook, and you can join us in person if you like on Sunday mornings at 9.15 at 110 Roanoke Street East, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. We hope to see you again next week.